Y'all like stories? Well, we're done here. I was expecting maybe a little more than that, actually. I had the whole thing worked out to go with a big, yeah! So y'all like stories? Yeah! Okay, thank you so much. Um, there's something, <laughs> there is something about stories um, that we, we like. Um, I don't even mean make-believe stories, but like real stories, like real life drama from real people that you can really relate to, uh, just kind of real stories, not just make-believe and concepts and all that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes we hear stories like that, they kind of um, force us to think about what we've learned maybe in class or um, in a lecture or in a sermon, and like it's easy, I, I get it, it's easy right now to kind of go, oh, here we go again, he's talking, and I start sounding like Charlie Brown's teacher, and then all of a sudden you hear a story, Don't, nobody said amen, right? Okay. <laughs> but then you hear a story, and, and, or you see something like in real life. You're watching the news, you see a movie, something that's true, and you go, wait a second, that's what we talked about. And you, oh, it's not just in the book, it's not just words, like it actually could happen. Um, here, here's a story. A friendship that grew between an elderly woman and the man who tried to kill her. I love this story. I've got your attention right now. This is from back in L.A. Because only in L.A. could something like this happen. There was this woman. Her name was Madge Rada. Um, and she was a church organist. And so here's what she would do every time. She'd go to church. She'd practice. Then she'd get done with practice. Before she'd go back home, she would go to Denny's. Because it was an all-night diner. And she was in Denny's at 3 a.m. She's kind of chilling, hanging out with Jesus, unwinding. She goes to the bathroom. When she comes out of the bathroom, now mind you, she's like 70 years old. She comes out of the stall, and there's a dude there. It's 23 years old. He's got on a ski mask and a knife, and he grabs her, pulls her back into the stall, sexually assaults her, tries to kill her, slits her throat, the whole deal. And it says in the article that she put up a pretty good fight. And the whole time she's putting up a fight, she's praying for him. She's praying hard out loud for him. She's witnessing to the man who's trying to kill her. And when it's all said and done, and she's laying there bleeding, blood's everywhere, he looks at her and says, I believe in God too, but Satan has me now. And that should be the end of the story. Except that they catch him, and when he goes to stand trial, guess who shows up? Grandma, right? From the diner. She walks in and she gives him two things at the trial. She gives him a Bible and she gives him forgiveness. So much so that while she's in the hospital, every nurse that came to visit her, everybody that plays the part on, um, on um, SVU, right, they all come see her and say, look, here's the deal. You're just repressing stuff. You need to get this anger out. You need to, you need to be mad at him. You don't need to hold that in. And here's what she said. I've never not forgiven him. I have no anger to get out. Like, I don't think it's okay what he did, but I'm forgiving him. He needs the Bible because the Word of God works. She goes to trial, gives him all that stuff. He goes to prison for 17 years, which I love this quote from her. She's like, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I just want to make sure you get that, right? Because sometimes I watch the shows on TV too where somebody has something horrific happen to them and then they forgive somebody, but that's all you ever see. I like that there's a 70-year-old woman who says, yeah, you need to go to jail. You deserve that, but I forgive you. She wrote to him in jail. She visited him in jail. She forgave him. 
she said this when people call her a saint. It's my nature to hold a grudge. I can remember things from years and years ago that everyone else has probably forgotten. But this wasn't natural. It was super natural. She's a real woman with a real enemy. She forgave the man who tried to kill her. She said to him, I love this, she said, God knew this attack was going to happen. So he sent a little old lady organist who'd have no better sense than to stand up in court with the Bible and say to her attacker, the word of God is all you need. And so began an unusual relationship between the victim and her attacker. He keeps referring to me as a friend, and that's what I am, she said. She knows her ability to help him is limited. She has little in common with a drifter from Texas. So she has contacted Christian organizations, the prison chaplains, and hooked him up with Christian men who specialize in helping prisoners straighten out their lives. I hope when he's released that he'll be surrounded by people who can help him and understand, Rada said. Before the attack, I'd always hear people give their testimony and talk about how someone they were talking to on a plane was converted. And I always wanted to do that, but never had a story to tell. If I knew the Lord was going to answer my prayer this way, she added with a laugh, I probably would never have prayed it. Her last quote was this. Talking about all, because you know, this happens, you get booked on talk shows, Everybody that's even atheists want to hear of this story, right? And here's how she summed it up. People are fascinated because this is something God is saying. I'm just lucky enough to be the person he used. People like that don't allow us to come to church for 17 weeks and study a book in Ephesians and read about unity and how God could take people who were different and make them one. We, we can sit here and say it's theory. But then you meet a woman like that, and suddenly it's not theory anymore. Like this stuff actually works, and it's actually supposed to work. Paul knew the power of stories. And so he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, and here's how he ends it. He didn't end it like a lot of preachers do, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. You ever have um, preachers that pray, they pray sermon prayers? Do you know what a sermon prayer is? A sermon prayer is when they spend an hour preaching and then they spend 15 minutes praying in a prayer everything they preach for an hour. As if somehow we didn't hear them the first time. Right? Um, and now if I ever do that, and you stand up and go, shut up! <laughs> Feel free, I'll, I'll, I'll pray, pray for you. I mean, so <laughs> Sometimes we, we, we try to recap things with you know, like, like, like bullet points and lists and make sure that you just want one last chance to drive this home. Paul didn't finish Ephesians with that he finished ephesians with a story ephesians chapter 6 you can turn there verse 21 i wish he had to finish with a story about ralph because that's an easier name to say but instead he chose tychicus which is going to sound like i'm stuttering a lot because i'm going to say that name a lot his name is tychicus we could call him tychicus then he would come in here from the dead and kill us because we're saying his name wrong. It's Tychicus. And here's what Paul says. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers. 
That sounds awesome. Peace to the brothers. Interesting fact, by the way, that's the only time that phrase is used in the Bible. Right there. Peace to a body of believers who were Jew, Gentile, had a lot of disunity. Peace to the brothers. And love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, right away you're saying to me, I thought you said there was a story in there. Like, there's no, and they lived happily ever after. There's no sunset, you know, horseback riding out into the sunset. No, it's going, where's the story? The story is, is, is between Paul and Tychicus. Here's what we're going to learn about this guy. Three things that Paul says about that man. And then at the end, I'm going to explain to you why that's so important. And why that's a story. Number one, it's on your sheet. He was family. Listen, Paul called him a dear brother, which sounds like he's starting a letter, right? Dear brother, send money. I'm in college and broke. It sounds so trite, but listen, here's the deal. What's so shocking is that he called a dear brother somebody who should have been his enemy. Now, Paul is a Jew, okay? It sounds so foreign to us, but we'll try to make sure we understand it. He's a Jew. And Tychicus is a Gentile. Um, we learned a while back, we were in Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about the dividing wall. Do you remember that? <laughs> that was one of my great sermons. Um, you're like, uh, no, I don't remember that. But now that you're doing this, it brings it all back. The dividing wall. We talked about Tar Heels and Wolfpack and Blue Devils and Tar Heels and how we're so divided. But that's Jew and Gentile. Like these two dudes should never have been family. But he calls his enemy a dear brother. Just to make sure you get how bad Jews and Gentiles didn't hate each other. Uh, just keep your finger in Ephesians. If you've got your Bible, turn back to Luke chapter 4 real quick. Luke chapter 4 this is the first time that Jesus ever went out and spoke in public. He goes and hangs out in the synagogue, which would be like church for us. In Luke chapter 4, he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, verse 18, because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's good favor. Shortest sermon ever. He sat down, verse 20, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Him. And verse 21 says this, And began by saying to them, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of Him, which is what every preacher wants, right? I preach... It's short, that's what you want, and then I want you to go out and speak well of me. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Just pointing out that that's verse 22. Seven verses later, they're trying to push him over a cliff and kill him. That's what every preacher doesn't want. I'm just going to connect the dots for you in case you weren't following, okay? So they love him, he's gracious. Seven verses later, he's out on a cliff, and they're trying to push him over and kill him. So... I just naturally asked myself the question, what happened, right? Like, I don't want to do that. So whatever Jesus did there, I don't want to make that same mistake. So what did Jesus say from verses 24 until the cliff? He said this, I will tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. 
So if you're like me, you're going, what? Like, what's so bad about that? Let me tell you what's bad about that. He's talking to a bunch of Jews, and he says to the Jews, for all time, there have been tons of widows and tons of lepers, and God chose to not touch any of them except these two, which just happen to be Gentiles. That's like you having enemies, and you thinking you're good with God, and God blesses your enemy. And then somebody comes and preaches about how that was a good thing, and, not, and, and you're like, what? And they freaked out. They want to kill Jesus over that. Because Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles hated Jews. And now here's Paul back in Ephesians saying about a Gentile, this is my dear brother. He was family. Ephesians chapter 2, 12 and 13 says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, everybody say but. but. Big but, that's fantastic. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What does that mean for us? Verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. We were foreigners, but we are family. That's good news. That's good news. That's part of the story that Paul's telling between him and his friend Tychicus. So he was, he was family. He was a Gentile who was now family. Let me ask you this. Do you think that I got the attention of the world? I think so. You ever had somebody walk up to you and say, you like that person? You think a, a 70-year-old standing up in a court and looking at her 23-year-old would-be murderer and saying, I forgive you, here's a Bible, you need this? You think that got the attention of the judge, the prosecutor, the news? Yeah. That kind of love changes everything. And we were foreigners. We were divided. And now we are family. Not only was he family, he was faithful. This guy's mentioned four times in the Bible. Once in Acts chapter 20, we find out that he was with Paul. Um, I don't know if you remember back when we did the React series. He was with Paul when they were being attacked by mobs that wanted to kill him. So like, there were these religious people that got mad at Paul in one city, and then they left that city and went to another city, and the religious group followed him and that's pretty bad when you're following a guy to go kill him in another city we missed you here we're going to try here and Tychicus was with Paul during all that time it's it's possible the other times we read about Tychicus he's the one bringing reports to people about Paul so I want you to get this I'm not sure if you will but I think you will here are two men who hated each other and what is the message of Ephesians? One. And God brings them together, and they trust each other and love each other so much. I mean, Paul knows that Tychicus is so faithful, he can be trusted with anything, that Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church, which I don't think Paul sat down and went, I'm writing the Bible right now. But God was writing the Bible as he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church. And that's the word of God. 
And he takes that, rolls up in a scroll and says, Tychicus, you're faithful. You're family. I trust you. Get this to them. You got friends like that? You got people in your life, they're in your corner, you could trust them like that? Paul had that. Are you a faithful messenger of the Word of God? I don't know how you are. Like, there's some days I don't want to get out of bed and read the Bible. And that might, like, maybe I should turn in my pastor badge, right? I don't just open it every day and go, oh, this is amazing. Wow, somebody else had another kid who has a father with a grandfather, and I can't pronounce any of their names. I love this stuff. <laughs> Shoot me. But whether I get it, like it, love it, have good days or bad days, can I be trusted with it? And this guy could be trusted with the Word of God. He carried the Word of God to the church in Ephesus. Luke 16.10 says this, If we're faithful in little things, we'll be made faithful in many. So all that says to me, because the Word of God is true, and it all being true, it says this, that Paul had been around Tychicus enough to know with small things, I can trust this guy. I can trust him a little bit more. I can trust him a little. I can give him the Word of God, and he can take it to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus. Man, I want, I want friends like that. I want faithful friends like that. All of us want faithful partners like that. Right? We don't meet friends, develop friendships, and then turn to them and say, I hope this works out for another couple of years. We don't stand at the altar and say, this could be the best year of my life. And then we'll figure something else out, right? I, I, that's not what y'all said, I don't think. I, don't, I was there. I'm pretty sure I didn't hear that coming out. For better or for worse this week, right? I'm just, I mean, the point is this. I know it doesn't always end that way, but it never begins that way. We never start there. We never start saying, ah, I hope you'll be kind of faithful. We start hoping, wanting faithfulness. It's huge. We want partners like that. Proverbs 18.24, just jot this down says this, that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Pop quiz, the friend's name is? Jesus! <laughs> it's Jesus, right? There's a friend who sticks closer than the brother, his name is Jesus. And when he redeems us, which we've read in Ephesians, when he redeems us, something in us changes. Something in us, we, we were like faithless and we become faithful. Something changes in us. What we weren't, we are. What we couldn't do, we can do. Ephesians chapter 2, just recapping some of the stuff we've learned. I want you to see how this story between Paul and Tychicus just kind of just captures all the stuff that we've learned to this point. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-2 says, As for you and me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Listen, all that says is this. You did not have it in you. I did not have it in me. We could not just read a book and decide to change. We were faithless. 
We were faithless. We could not be trusted with a letter to a church that was the Word of God. Because we'd have done what, you know, y'all would never do this, but I'd have taken the letter written to the church at Ephesus, and I would have, he would have fold, you know, rolled it up nice, and I would have folded it, stuck it in my back pocket, and then Wendy would have gotten it out of the laundry. All like in little, lots of little pieces, in, still some of it in the dryer. You know, just that's what, that's what happens with us. Stuff gets in our pocket, we forget about it. We're not trustworthy. We weren't trustworthy. Until what happened? Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works so that no man can boast. We were faithless. Now we are faithful. I'll read this to you. Just jot down the reference. Hebrews 10, 39. It's a great verse. You need to um, write this one down and put it on your fridge. It's a great verse. Hebrews 10, 39 says this, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who believe and are saved. Man, we were faithless. We are faithful. We do not shrink back. So he was um, family, he was faithful. Here's, here's the last one. Um, he, he was focused. Have you ever had a staring contest? Should we, let's have one right now. Turn to the person next to you, just right now, real quick. I'm giving you permission. In church, have a staring contest. Go. Already over? Men everywhere tapping out. It's like I'm out. I can't do this. While some of you are finishing up your epic staring contest, I'll say this. No matter how I'm feeling, the minute we start the staring contest, I need to blink. I mean the minute. I could be like, you know, don't blink for days. And if we start a contest, the minute it starts, I'm just like, you know, I just can't stop blinking. Our staring contest that go at home, they go like this, sitting by, hey, Dad, let's have a staring contest. Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. I lose. And if I can, by some miracle, not blink, anything that could possibly be on my peripheral vision and behind that person that could be distraction to me will happen. We will start a contest and a building will blow up. I'm out. You know, start the contest. I'm really large person running at full speed is running up the hill this way and they're just <laughs> up and up. I've got to look. Ambulance goes by. What? Oh, I didn't I didn't blink though. The minute the minute we start staring. The minute we start staring. But Tychicus or that happened. See, I blinked when that happened. <laughs> like I'm out, man. I'm out. You just made me lose. Tychicus, this dude was focused. He was focused. He would have killed us in a staring contest. Paul says this, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. He didn't send him to play cards, play poker, play munchkins, He didn't send them to go to the movies because they didn't have movies. But you know what I'm saying. He sent them for one purpose, just for one purpose. And you know what? What do we know about Tychicus? He was 
faithful. So guess what's going to happen? He's going he's to do it. He's going to carry out the one purpose, the one thing he has to do. Sometimes in church we lose focus on the main things. Uh, or let's say it a different way. Sometimes in church we focus on the wrong things. You, you know those people, right? Oh, oh he's, they're focused. They're focused on everything that you've ever done that was wrong. They're not focused on the grace of God. They're just focused on your mistake. They're picketing sin. They're not celebrating grace. And sometimes we, we, we get focused on the wrong things. We get distracted. We get caught up in one ministry versus another. One sin is worse than another. One cause being more worthy than another. I will at some point probably blog about this this week, but I just thought it was a fascinating thing for me. This is how the church works. Um, and it's not a political statement at all, okay? I don't make political statements because I'm not smart enough. But here's, here's what happened. Lead singer for Jars of Clay has a little tweeting thing going on. Apparently is for gay marriage. And so before you can blink an eye, every Christian blogger, pastor, jerk, whoever out there has blogged about it and thrown this kid under the bus, he's the, he's the devil, the boogeyman, he might be for gay marriage, I don't know. But I do know this, within 24 hours, that man had written a blog explaining what had been said. And I never could find any of the people that had thrown him under the bus that came back later and said, oh, oh hold on, my bad, I, I just found out the rest of the story. I'm not saying whether I agree or not. I'm just saying that this is what we do in church. We get distracted. And suddenly, blogospheres are lit, not lit up with, with one guy's comment. Where's Jesus? We get distracted. We focus on the wrong things. And, and if we do that, let me tell you what's always going to happen. The things that you focus on, the things that you think are worthy of your attention, your focus will always be the things that you're passionate about. And everybody else gets thrown under the bus. Tychicus was not like that. He stayed focused on the right things. According to the verse we read, his purpose was not even about himself. It had to do very little with him. It had to do with Paul. I'm uh, sorry, the real Paul. Letting people know how the real Paul was doing. Finding out how the church was doing. He was not even a part of that equation what what's even more mind-blowing to me than that was his determination and focus in not ever wavering from that purpose when paul was writing his last letter the real paul second timothy chapter 2 let me just read it to you. I, I, I was reading this last night and I thought, maybe he had Tychicus in mind when he wrote this. Just, of all we know about this one little man, it's mentioned four times in the Bible, who was a Gentile when Paul was a Jew, and God destroyed the dividing wall, brought them together, their family, he's faithful, all the things we know about him. Let me read you what Paul wrote at the end of his life. You tell me if maybe this doesn't describe the man that we're talking about. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 1 through 7, he said this to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because they're focused. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes 
As an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Man, I think that is Tychicus. Focus. Be a good soldier. Jesus has won the war. We can stand. We can fight. My guess is um, many soldiers have been in um, a foxhole. I've never been in battle. They've been in the middle of the fight and they've gotten orders and they've thought to themselves, that's stupid. But you know what they did anyway? Oh, y'all have never been in fights either? You know what they did anyway? They did what they were told. Because when you're standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody who's also fighting, you're back to back with somebody who's fighting that way and you're fighting this way against an enemy and you can only see one thing when you're told something from somebody who has a different perspective, you might think you've got a better idea and when you get out of that fight, you might go back to your commanding officer and mention, sir, I might have a better idea, but in that moment, you don't do the better idea, you do what you were told. That's what soldiers do. You don't have time to figure out something better. You simply do what you're told. Tychicus could have walked up and said, you know, I'm here again, like I got something from Paul, but I, I could read it to you, but read it on your own time. He's doing great, by the way. Where's the juice? And he stood there, and he, he did what he was sent to do. He was focused. He was a good soldier. We have a task to do, a part to play, and a purpose that is greater than any one of us and greater because of all of us. Man, in war there are bullets, there are injuries, there are casualties, there is pain. But there are men and women standing side by side, back to back, fighting together. So when the bullets start flying in your life, not that they ever have, just hypothetically speaking, right? When the bullets start flying in your life and you pick up the phone... You pick up the phone and you start scanning. You don't scan your contact list. You go to your favorites. And it's probably the first one. And that's the one you hit. And why is that? Well, because I know they won't answer. No. Those people are in your contact list towards the bottom, right? Because she'll pick up. Because she'll come. Because she's faithful. She's focused. She's family. That's my friend. That's who you call. You know, Paul had people he could have called at any time. Here's a word. Here's the name of somebody he didn't call. Demas. Just Google it. Demas. How'd you like to be Demas? Well, you're like, first tell me what he did, and then I'll tell you if I want to be Demas, right? Demas is known in the Bible as a deserter. He ran away. He abandoned Paul. At the worst possible time. So when it was time for Paul to deliver a message of really good news to the Ephesian church, he didn't call Demas and say, I got a job for you. He called somebody that he was faithful. He called a friend. Man, this Gentile who should have been an enemy to the death was focused, faithful. He was family. Their friendship was in spite of their differences. Now listen, I want you to get this. Their friendship, in spite of their differences, was the difference. We were talking this week about change. You ever, um, sometimes it's so easy as pastors to get up here and, and preach to you about how if you really love Jesus, your life will change. 
And, and if you're like me, I mean, I was raised in a, in a Christian family. I, I don't have a huge, I didn't kill people before I got saved, right? I don't know if you did. If you did, I don't want to know. <laughs> Actually, I used to steal from church offerings. Fantastic. So good to have you here. why they're in a lockbox right over there right <laughs> we knew you were coming grace. yeah grace grace <laughs> oh you've been listening during this message it's fantastic um so but here's the deal right like sometimes we just um we i'm so distracted now what were we saying <laughs> offerings <laughs> stealing killing people I've, I've totally messed myself up change sometimes it's so easy for us to to, to judge one another like where's the change in your life and usually it's the pastors. And I'll be honest, because we got the power, right? We get sent up here and we get to do this. Where's the change in your life? And then you're the one that gets to walk out and get in the car and go, I thought I loved Jesus, but like, I'm not really changing. Change is slow. Change is slow. For some people, it's overnight. Like, you really could be the person who dealt drugs and now you don't. But for some of us, it's just slow. But you know what's always there? Always there? There's always a difference. And I like that word a lot better. I think that describes what goes on better. The world looks at Christians individually and sometimes doesn't see a change right away. Grace. But the world should always be able to look at the church collectively and say there's something different there. When I was youth pastoring, I would tell my kids, they'd be in my youth group and they would start just ripping each other up pulling each other down, saying horrible things to one another. And like, well, they're just being teenagers. I was just looking at them, just shut up. Like, if I wanted this kind of attitude and atmosphere, I'll just go to the cafeteria at your school. But this is church. Like, this is where Jesus moves in our lives. This is where He changes us. He makes us different. We were enemies, and now we're family. Something happens here. And when something happens here, people in the world go, well, we can't get along. How can you get along? And we have to say, we're awesome people. <laughs> no, we have to say Jesus. He tore down the dividing wall. He made us one. And I just want you to know that Paul and Tychicus, their friendship, in spite of their differences, was the difference. Do you see that? How you're friends with people in this church who aren't anything like you. That's the difference. This was the story that he chose to end a letter with. He could have, he could have recapped his whole letter. Instead, he just told a story about somebody that they knew. Something that couldn't be denied. This is living proof that everything Paul had written about, the power of Jesus to destroy what divides, the grace of Jesus to unite the divided, this was proof that all that was true. So, get this statement, okay? Before Jesus, we were a room full of people fighting for my rights and my way. But because of Jesus, we are a room full of servants laying down our rights and our way for His body. You hear that? Like before Jesus, we were the birds in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 right? That was us, right? But after Jesus, how can I serve you? How can I put you ahead of me? I choose last. 
we were fragmented. We are focused. We were fragmented. What I mean by that is just that we were kind of all over the map, right? Everybody kind of doing their own thing. Like a family with five teenagers, right? These are the families that you laugh at at a restaurant. You're like, check that out. Like they're all sitting at the same table texting each other. Or they're all on... They're all on their devices, like looking at something like playing a game or watching a YouTube video, and they're not talking to each other. They're together, air quotes, but they're not really together. They're fragmented, right? That's kind of how we were. But now we are focused. We have a purpose. Jesus has changed us. So, we are at the end of this 17-week flight. And it's time to start landing the plane. It's time to return your trays to the upright position, right? Make sure your seats are all the way up. Here's what I know about us. I'm going to say some words like amazing and soul satisfying. I mean, I think this has been a fantastic journey through the book of Ephesians. But it's really, really easy to do this. Now that it's over, take all the sheets, fold them up, back pocket, or like some of y'all, you're like me, in the Bible, close it, and then you end up with a Bible that will explode if you open it, because you have like years of sheets in your Bible. We file it away, and we go, well, that was good. And then two weeks from now, you won't remember squat. It's so easy for us To end a series like that. But I want to call you to something greater than just filing your notes away. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to open the book of your life and allow God to write a story that will make a difference. That's that's your big idea. Let me just say it again and I'll kind of talk us through to the end. When we're an open book, God can write stories that make a difference. Let me explain to you how that ties this little passage back into the end of Ephesians, okay? In our culture, the more famous we become, the more private we get. Would you agree? So you have, when you're not famous at all, you have this personal space bubble that's like here. You don't like it. You'd like it to be here, right? But people just, like, they just walk up and they can approach you anytime they want to. But the more famous you get, the bigger that bubble gets. Until it gets so big that you need to have guards on the outside of your bubble to make sure nobody can get to you. We tend to live closed lives. What Paul did in this letter, man, it's such a powerful example of an open life. I, I want to just highlight it because I don't want us to miss it. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. I want you to get, like Paul's a rock star. Like if there were rock stars in Bible times, he's a rock star. He is the Stephen Furtick of this time. And here's what he says. I'm sending a dude to you who will tell you everything about me. I am not closed off 
I am an open book. When I was a Jew and I was the best Jew there ever was and I met this dude named Tychicus who was a Gentile, I could have said, you're a stupid man with a stupid name. Might have been his first line. I don't know. But I can't say that because I serve a Savior who has divine, he took that divine wall and he destroyed it. And you and I are going to come together. I, he could have closed himself off. Look, some of you, I know me saying I want you to be an open book. You're just like, there's no way. I'm not, no, no. Like, I'm just barely opening myself to Jesus. I ain't no way I'm opening myself to somebody who's like me. And there is no way in H-E double hockey six that I'm going to open my life to somebody who's not like me. Are you crazy? The last time I opened my life, somebody stabbed me. They didn't write a story. They killed me. I get it. Totally get it. So she's 70 years old. She's standing in the courtroom. And she hands the man who tried to kill her a Bible. And she hands him forgiveness. And a woman who could have, and it's not a Bible story, right? Because we can, we can just, I, I know how we are. That's just the Bible. No, this is real life. This is a woman who stepped into Denny's in a stall, and a man with a mask pulled her back in and slit her throat and tried to kill her. And she stood in front of him and said, you need this. This is real. She could have closed herself off. I'm never going to go back to Denny's again. I mean, I knew they had bad food, but now they have stalkers. I'm never going back again. She could have closed. And listen, I've been there. When you, you want to just close down. And God's saying, open yourself up. And if you will open your life, if you'll be an open book, God will write stories that make a difference. It won't just be Paul and Tychicus. It won't be a 70-year-old woman and a 23-year-old attacker. It'll be you and somebody that you couldn't stand before. And somehow God will do something amazing. Allow others into your life. And when we're an open book, God can write stories that make a difference. Listen, it's risky. It's the only way that God can write stories in us. He can't write stories in a closed book. We have to open up. And if you've got nothing else out of Ephesians, if we just took the whole series and boiled it down into this, the way that he takes people who were enemies and makes them one is those enemies open their lives to God and say, you do in me what you want. I don't want to be what I was. I want to be what you want me to be. And that, my friends, is the change. That is the difference that our city will never be able to deny. We are closed and guarded, selfish and alone. But now... We are open and trusting, focused, faithful family. In Christ, we are changed. 